The Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from the book of Ecclesiastes, selected verses from chapters 1 and 2. The words of Ecclesiastes, David's son, king in Jerusalem. Nothing but vapor, Ecclesiastes said. Totally vapor. Everything is just vapor that vanishes. I thought in my heart, go ahead, test yourself with pleasure to see what is good. But oh, that too is vapor. About laughter, I said, madness. About pleasure, what good is it? As my heart kept guiding me with wisdom, I put, it, I put it to work researching how to relax my body with wine and how to grasp why people do stupid things. My goal was to see what was good for people to do under the sky during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I made reservoirs of water for myself to irrigate a forest of sprouting trees. I acquired male and female servants. I also had slaves that were born in my own house. Livestock, too. I had more herds and flocks than anyone before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold for myself, as well as treasures from kings and provinces. I acquired male singers and female singers for myself. And what gives great pleasure to men? One concubine after another. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were in Jerusalem before me. Nevertheless, my wisdom still stayed with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not withhold from them. I did not hold my heart back from any pleasure. My heart even took pleasure in all my hard work. This is what I got from all my hard work. But when I turned my attention to everything that my hands had done and to how hard I had worked for it, note this, it was all vapor, all chasing the wind. There was no benefit under the sun. So I hated life because the work done under the sun was so frustrating for me because everything is vapor and chasing the wind. I also hated all the results of my hard work for which I worked so hard under the sun since I must leave it all to the man who comes after me. And who knows, will he be wise or a fool? Yet he will have control over all the results of my hard work for which I worked so hard and so wisely under the sun. This too is vapor that vanishes. So I changed my course and my heart began to despair over all my hard work at which I worked so hard under the sun. Sure, there must be a man who has worked hard, wisely, aptly, and skillfully, but he must hand over whatever he accumulated by all his hard work to a man who has not worked for it. This too is vapor. It's so unfair. For what does a man gain through all his hard work, through all the turmoil in his heart as he works so hard under the sun? Pain fills all his days. His occupation is frustration. Even at night his heart does not rest. This too is vapor. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to find joy in his work. This too, I saw, is from God's hand. For who can eat or enjoy himself apart from him? Yes, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness to the man whom he considers good. But to the person who goes on sinning, God gives the task of gathering and collecting but only so that he can give it all to a person whom God considers good. This too is vapor, nothing but chasing the wind. This is the word of the Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, the only one who can give meaning to life. Have you ever tried to catch the wind? Probably not. That's a pretty foolish idea. Oh, sure, you probably caught something that is carried on the wind, a, a lightning bug or a butterfly or COVID-19. But catching the wind 
is impossible. You cannot catch the wind. And just as Jesus said in our parable, he said that trying to find the meaning of life in money or things is foolish because in the end it will all be taken away from us. In the end, death is a great equalizer. There is no rich or poor in death. There is just death. I would say that Solomon here goes even farther. He doesn't just say that, that chasing after wealth is foolish. He, he goes so far as to say that any earthly pursuit apart from God is foolishness. It's a waste. It's nothing but chasing after the wind. Here, you heard his words, vapor. Everything is vapor that vanishes. Just like a breath on a cold winter day vanishes, so everything, every earthly pursuit apart from God, gone like that. The Hebrew he uses here is havel havelim, worthless or empty or a breath. Incidentally, uh, Adam and Eve's second son, Abel, that's his name, havel, like a breath. And isn't it sad that Abel's life was cut so short, like a breath, so, so meaninglessly by his brother? So what is he exactly talking about? What is vapor? What is meaningless? What is like chasing after the wind? All of it. Everything. Anything. Life. It's all a vapor. Meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Bet you're glad you rolled out of bed to hear that this morning, right? A very positive message from King Solomon. Why? Why would the Lord inspire King Solomon to tell us that everything we do, every earthly pursuit, everything we attain, everything we have built is all meaningless? It's all vapor. It's all chasing after the wind. Because the Lord loves us too much to let it happen to us what happened to that rich fool. We didn't realize the truth until the time was up, until he had already forfeited his soul. So the Lord inspired Solomon to tell us this hard reality of life in order to properly frame our perspective, to take our eyes off of life under the sun and to place them on life in God's Son, in Jesus Christ. Now it appears that King Solomon did learn his lesson he probably wrote this letter or this book towards the end of his life. It seems like after he had chased every pursuit, every pleasure, every accomplishment, he finally realized this isn't it. The meaning of life can't be found in any of these things, and it's hopeless. And so it seems like he learned his lesson, but every generation has to learn this lesson for itself. And in our generation, these words are fighting words. Try telling someone that the meaning of life cannot be found in money or accomplishments or degrees or pleasure or vacations. Whether we realize it or not, we've been conditioned to measure our lives according to those things, according to our skills, according to our accomplishments, according to how much money we have or how big our house is or how new our car is. We're we're conditioned by our culture to measure our lives that way and to measure the lives of others in that way. This is kind of the way it goes, right? You, you want to work hard in school so that you can get a good degree and a good job that pays you well so that you can find a perfect spouse and move into the perfect house and then have the perfect children and the perfect dog and the perfect white picket fence and then 
you, you work hard so that your children can go to the ideal school so that they too can find an ideal spouse. And then finally, finally you get to retire and crack open that big nest egg that you've been working on your whole life. Isn't that it? The American dream? But it's more than that. That is a delusion that is spawned by our sinful nature. It's the delusion that happiness is out there. It's just around the corner. You just have to run fast enough, work hard enough to grab hold of it, and then happiness will be yours. But it's a lie. It's a delusion. And anyone who's ever chased after happiness like that knows it's just like chasing after the wind. You inevitably come up empty-handed. But that's the way our sinful nature thinks, and it's not ever going to give that up easily. You can't rationalize with the sinful nature. You can't just tell the sinful nature, look, it's pointless, stop thinking that way. No, our whole lives we will be battling that idea, that delusion of the American dream, that delusion that there is happiness out there. So what we must do is not try to argue with the sinful nature, but put it to death, as Paul said in Colossians. We need to put it to death, and it's an ugly and it's a painful death, but God has to do that for us so that we do not forfeit our souls like that rich fool. So for the sake of your own soul, listen as King Solomon drains the life right out of the American dream. He was kind of conducting an experiment in his life, right? He was conducting an experiment on how he could find meaning and happiness in life. And he went various different directions. The first direction was pleasure. I thought in my heart, go ahead, test yourself with pleasure to see what is good. But oh, that too is vapor. About laughter, I said madness. About pleasure, what good is it? As my heart kept guiding me with wisdom, I put it to work, researching how to relax my body with wine and how to grasp why people do stupid things. I acquired male singers and female singers for myself and what gives great pleasure to men, one concubine after another. Now, there's no doubt that chasing pleasure is attractive. The question is, does it work? Now, his idea of chasing after pleasure is nothing new, is it? In the Old Testament, the Lord scolded, yelled at the Israelites for lounging around on their Uh, ivory-embroidered sofas, drinking bowlfuls of wine while their neighbors starved and were thrown into poverty. The Epicureans of Paul's day lived by the motto, eat, drink, and be merry. I think today the hedonism that we see in our world is probably summarized by the motto, play or work hard and play harder. There's nothing new about that idea. But we have to put that to the test, right? Does the, that hedonism, that, that search for pleasure, that, that Hugh Hefner type searching for happiness and meaning in life through pleasure, does that work? Is it satisfying? Does it lead to happiness and contentment? Well, as Solomon said, he, he filled his belly with all the finest foods and finest drink. And you can do that. But... If you fill yourself with the finest food and drink and and have no recognition that it came from the Creator, well, what are you any different? How are you any different than livestock? Aren't you just like a well-dressed food processor if you can't recognize that God has given you these gifts? Food and drink are a blessing from God, but enjoying them apart from Him will lead nowhere. 
And you know that. All it does is leave you with the next day's heartburn and hangover. All right. Uh, sex then. Sex is satisfying, right? Well, not if you paint outside the lines that God has drawn around marriage. If you start to dabble out there, all that will lead to is heartbreak and broken homes and broken hearts and broken families as Solomon realized in his own life and probably sadly as many of you know from personal experience as well. Sex can be enjoyable. It is a pleasure that God has given to us, but only within the bounds of marriage. And even there, it is not the end-all and be-all. What else? What other kind of pleasure could we look for? Well, there have been studies, and I know this is an overgeneralization, but uh, there have been studies recently that say that this younger generation, the, the millennials and maybe even the Zs, are a little bit different from the older generations and that the older generations like to accumulate stuff. That's where they, they find their pleasure, their happiness. Uh, the younger generations seem to be more focused on experiences. And so you have uh, adventure vacations. You have you know, Airbnbs. You have these escape rooms. You have all these different, different experiences that you can have. Uh, does that work? Does that lead to happiness and contentment and give meaning to life? No. Because there's always another experience to have, isn't there? There's always a new vacation spot to visit. There's always a, a, something else on Facebook. It always seems like the other people on Facebook have gone to such greater places and had such better experiences than you. Pleasure doesn't lead anywhere. It just leaves you empty-handed. It's chasing after the wind. All right, well, maybe the older generations have it right. Can accumulating wealth and stuff, does that lead to happiness and contentment? Paul, uh, Solomon tested that too. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I made reservoirs of water for myself to irrigate a forest of sprouting trees I acquired male and female servants. I also had slaves that were born in my own house. Livestock, too. I had more herds and flocks than anyone before me in Jerusalem. But when I turned my attention to everything that my hands had done and to how hard I had worked for it, note this, it was all vapor, all chasing the wind. There was no benefit under the sun. So can building a little kingdom of your own with wealth and stuff, can that lead to happiness and contentment? In our country, you would think so, right? It wasn't that long ago, 50 years ago, when a storage unit was something unheard of. Now you see storage units absolutely everywhere. How can we possibly have so much stuff that it doesn't even fit in our homes that we have to put it away in a locker somewhere? Jesus said that anyone who believes that happiness will come from having stuff is a fool who has forfeited his soul. And now, it's common knowledge, it's common experience, even among unbelievers, that whoever dies with the most toys doesn't win, right? You're still dead. It's common knowledge that eventually death will rob you of every penny you've ever accumulated in your entire life. That's common knowledge. What's important to realize, though, is that wealth can't even bring happiness during this life. That's the insight that Solomon wants us to have. That wealth does not bring happiness and contentment. It cannot buy everything. As all of us know who have suffered health problems or lost loved ones or had other financial problems, money 
does not buy anything, everything. And while I don't think any of us are kings, we've all built our own little kingdoms, haven't we, filled with stuff? But here's the hard reality. One day, someone is going to take all of that stuff that you worked so hard to gather, and they're going to dump it all at goodwill. Empty hands, chasing after the wind. All right, if it's not accumulation of stuff, maybe it's the journey to get there. Maybe work can give meaning to life. Solomon tested that too. What does a man gain through all his hard work, through all the turmoil in his heart? As he works so hard under the sun, pain fills all his days. His occupation is frustration. Even at night, his heart does not rest. This too is vapor. But that's not what that, Amer- that seductress called the American dream says, does it? The American dream says if you just work hard enough, then you will find happiness and contentment and fulfillment in your life. There used to be something called the Christian work ethic. You know, it was, it was Paul's advice that we should make it our goal in life to, to lead quiet lives and to work with our hands so that we can provide for our families and, and help out others in need. The American seductress, though, twists that healthy Christian work ethic into something vastly different, doesn't it? Work, 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 invest, climb the corporate ladder, scratch the right back, buy low, or buy high, buy low, sell high. Don't do it the other way. Uh, Work, 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 it's screeching into your ear like a slave driver, isn't it? All through our society, you've got to work harder to be better than the Joneses And after a lifetime full of work, what did Solomon discover? Even after he had built a temple for the Lord and a palace for himself, what did he discover? Empty hands that he had been chasing after the wind. The only thing he got out of it was what? He called his occupation frustration. He got anxiety. He got depression. He got sleepless nights. And Solomon's example is not at all isolated. I was just running the numbers a little bit this past week on how that American dream seductress work ethic slave driver mentality, how it's affecting Americans. 13% of Americans, it's believed, take antidepressants. Melatonin, which is supposedly a sleep aid. Americans spend $800 million a year trying to fall asleep at night. Where has this American dream seductress, this slave-driving mentality that we have to work hard and that in our work we will find our fulfillment and our happiness, where has it gotten us? We are emotional and mental wrecks who can't sleep at night because all we can think about is the toil that is coming tomorrow. Empty hands, chasing after the wind. Well, I hope I have you very depressed right now. It is depressing to consider life like that, isn't it? That all of the pursuits that are out there, all of the pleasure, all of the work, all of the accumulation of stuff, it all leads nowhere. But it is the soul-crushing truth. And it's what we need to hear. We need to hear that apart from God, anything we pursue in life is empty. It's a chasing after the wind. It will never get us anywhere, not in this life, and especially not in eternal life. So stop 
believing that happiness is just around the corner. That if you just work hard, run fast enough, you can catch it. It's like the wind, you will never catch it. And more than that, you are not the sum total of the pleasures you've had in life. You're not the sum total of how much money or stuff you have. You are not the sum total of your accomplishments in your work career. You are not the sum total of how many degrees you have hanging on the wall. You're not. You're so much more than that. God personally hand-stitched you together in your mother's womb. He sent his son to redeem you. He sends the Holy Spirit to work through word and sacrament to adopt you into his family. God has so much bigger plans for you than just trying to find a glimmer of happiness or contentment in this life. Solomon sets us on the right path. He gives us a proper perspective in the last couple of verses of our text where he says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to find joy in his work. This too I saw is from God's hand. For who can or enjoy himself apart from him? Wait a minute. I thought Solomon just got done establishing that work and stuff and money and pleasure don't lead anywhere. That it's a chasing after the wind, a vapor that disappears just like that. Now he says there's nothing better than to eat and to drink and to experience pleasure? What is he talking about here? Well, you caught the difference, right? Especially when Solomon was talking about how he built these gardens and these groves of trees. What did he always say? He said, for myself. And here he says, uh, in the presence of God or apart from God. With God, everything in life has meaning. It's apart from him where nothing has meaning. If Christ is not the center of our lives, then we are just like livestock. Then we, we're going to live, we're going to die, that's it. But we are not just livestock. Christ is at the center of our lives. And our lives do have meaning now because of that. Because Jesus has come to destroy the one thing that makes life meaningless. What is the one thing that makes life meaningless no matter how rich or poor you have, no matter how many vacations you've done, no matter how big your house is? What's the one thing that makes life meaningless? Death. And that's what Jesus came to destroy. He didn't get sidetracked by any earthly pursuits. He wasn't distracted by the pleasures that were available to him. He was pursuing determinedly, doggedly, your salvation. He carried all of those sins that live in our hearts of greed and idolatry and lust and gluttony that we're all guilty of, especially as Americans. The sins of piling up more and more stuff so that we have so much stuff we have to rent a locker to put them all in. He carried all those to the cross and he paid for them there. And because of his blood, we have the greatest treasure of all right now. We have the treasure of forgiveness. The treasure of forgiveness means that we won't be caught un- unready like that rich fool did when Jesus calls us home. When God comes calling for our soul, we will be ready because we know that we are forgiven and we have been covered with Jesus' robes of righteousness. That's the greatest treasure of all have Jesus at the center of our lives and the forgiveness that he brings as our constant companion. That's the one thing, the forgiveness of sins, that you should be chasing after. That you should be trying to pile up. That you should go rent a storage locker because you have so much forgiveness in your life. That's what we should be running after. 
not the stuff of this world that is just like vapor, but the forgiveness of sins which Jesus lived and died to win for us. So do you understand what something is working us towards? We, got, we opened up this service with talking about having the proper perspective. And so Solomon gets us to the point where we understand that the meaning of life, we're not trying to change our lives. We, a better life is not our goal, but rather to change our perspective on life is where we find the meaning in life. Because when you have Jesus at the center of your life, when you have eternal life in your back pocket and through, by virtue of the forgiveness of sins, then everything takes on a different light, doesn't it? Then there is meaning in seeking out pleasure. Then there is meaning in work. Then there is meaning in accumulating goods. What is the meaning? God wants you to have them. He doesn't, contrary to popular belief, he doesn't want you to live a miserable life in poverty here on this earth. That's why he has given you your wealth. That's why he's given you your spouse and your family and your accomplishments. Why he's given you a job to do. To take pleasure in them. And it's like in, when I taught Ecclesiastes in Bible class, I use the example of, of children. You know how children always want to be working with mom and dad? They want to be you know, doing the cooking, or if you're working outside, they want to be cutting the grass, you know, whatever it is. And, and as a parent, you, you appreciate the sentiment, but don't you also want to tell them, you're not, your job is not to worry about the mortgage. You don't have to worry about the credit card bills. Your job right now is to play. That's your job. Don't worry. I got the big picture taken care of. You go play. Enjoy yourself. And that's kind of the perspective that God has with us, right? He's taken care of the big picture. Our sins are forgiven. Eternal life is ours. He's promised to never leave us. He's promised to provide our daily bread. The big picture is taken care of. All that's left for us to do is go play. I mean, after all, that's really all we're doing in this life, isn't it? Yes, we work hard and we take our work seriously and we want to help others. And, and life can be very serious, but... When God has taken care of the big picture of eternity, doesn't that relieve our anxiety? Doesn't that allow us to sleep at night? Even without melatonin, even without the sleep aids? Doesn't that make us think, I don't need to take a pill for an antidepressant. I have all the joy I can handle in knowing that my Savior loves me enough to give up his life for me and to take me home to heaven. So if you leave here just one thing in mind, just remember you are not the sum total of your pleasures, your work, or your stuff. You are much more than that. You are a beloved child of your heavenly Father. You are someone for whom Jesus died. You are someone through whom the Holy Spirit has come and created the gift of faith through which you have the greatest treasure of all, the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. So, the Christian life really is very simple. It's not complicated. Just let God take care of the big picture stuff and you enjoy this life, this 70 or 80 years of life that God has given you um, in this world because you already know that Jesus has secured your eternity for you. Amen.